0: Hi, this is John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart podcast. What we are doing over this series is exploring the personality of Jesus from my new book, Beautiful Outlaw. There is absolutely no one and nothing that is more captivating than Jesus when you can see him As he really is. And to know Jesus as he really is, is to fall in love with him. So what we're doing in this series, I am reading some excerpts from a new book called Beautiful Outlaw, discovering the playful, extravagant, disruptive personality of Jesus. And so let's explore Jesus together. Right now, we're trying to recover his genuine humanity. Notice how the religious fog, even at this moment, is working to prevent you. This is disrespectful. Maybe heresy. He's pushing his point too far. But now Jesus is ascended, so none of this matters. Friends, the more the dog barks, the closer you are to the bone. Jesus was tired, hungry, thirsty because he took on our humanity. Listen carefully. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John 1.14 Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Hebrews 2.14 When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. From Philippians 2, 7 and 8, The Message. I mentioned earlier my anger in the museum, At the classic art depicting the birth of Jesus, the super baby, I was angry, not because the art was done badly, but because it was done so beautifully, so very reverently, making it all the more difficult to remember that Jesus was human. The incarnation is one of the greatest treasures of our faith. The world keeps pushing God away, feeling more comfortable with him up in the heavens somewhere. But in the coming of Jesus, he draws near, incredibly near. He takes on our humanity. How could he possibly get closer? He nurses at Mary's breast. One of my favorite Christmas meditations comes from this passage by Chesterton. He's speaking of Bethlehem and what it held in its foothills that fateful night. The strange kings fade into a far country. And the mountains resound no more with the feet of the shepherds, and only the night and the cavern lie in fold upon fold over something more human than humanity. Savor that passage for a moment. The manger Mary used as a cradle held something more human than humanity? Do you think of Jesus as the most human, human being who ever lived? It's true. The ravages of sin, neglect, abuse, and a thousand addictions have left us all a shadow of what we were meant to be. Jesus is humanity in its truest form. His favorite title for himself was the Son of Man, not of God, of man. We looked to nature and saw reflected there his playfulness and his fierce intention Do we see his humanity reflected in creation as well? Well, um, look in the mirror. You are the only thing in this world said to be created directly in his image. Your humanity is a reflection of Jesus' humanity. Jesus feels. You feel. Jesus longs. You long. Jesus weeps. You weep. Jesus laughs. You laugh. It's a pretty staggering thought. Too much heaven's stuff pushes Jesus away. His humanity brings him close again. It also helps us to recover his captivating personality in the Gospels. I've always wondered why Jesus, having healed someone, would immediately tell them to keep quiet about it. After giving two blind men perfect vision, Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Matthew 9.30. Warn them sternly? Now why is that? He does the same thing after healing a man of leprosy. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Mark 1.44. A strong warning? But isn't the point to get the word out? And wouldn't miracles be just the thing? These guys are the poster children now, living proof of Jesus' claims. Maybe he's using reverse psychology, knowing that the more you insist people don't talk about what happened, the more they will. Is this merely his technique to get the press going? I mean, it certainly has that effect. The two blind men went out and spread news about him all over that region. The healed leper went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Wait. Mark goes on to explain why Jesus did this. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, and yet the people still came to him from everywhere mark one forty four and forty five It is a sad editorial footnote. Jesus can't even get a moment's rest now. The paparazzi are everywhere. He doesn't mind a night of prayer on the mountain, but never to be able to get a bed and a hot meal. Jesus' strong warnings reveal his strong desires, very human desires. Please, don't tell anybody about this. He doesn't want to be forced to sleep in the woods. Jesus enjoyed people. Not everyone does, you know. Many stories find him feasting with a rowdy crowd. He invited twelve men to spend day and night with him for three years. His longing for companionship intensifies to a crescendo in Gethsemane. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. Stay here and keep watch with me, Matthew 26. Don't leave me alone. Not now. How urgently human. Yes, Jesus knew loneliness. He's not pretending. The one who created the human heart, whose own heart was so vast and so kind, this man felt deeply. He who created love and friendship longed for it. Now, There are defenders of the faith, quite vocal in our time, quite convincing in their zeal to protect the glory of God, who will attack you for suggesting that God wants anything from you other than obedience. To suggest so, in their reasoning, is to diminish the all-sufficiency of God. But is that what you see in Gethsemane? A God who couldn't care less whether his friends stay or go? Stay here. And keep watch with me. This is no superhero, steeled and impervious to the human condition. Far from it. And loneliness is something we all share with him. The whole conviction of my life, wrote Thomas Wolfe, now rests upon the belief that loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, peculiar to myself and to a few other solitary men, is the central. An inevitable fact of human existence. To be missed or misunderstood, to be judged unfairly, to be wanted for what you can do rather than who you are, to go on for years unappreciated, even unknown by those closest to you, you can hear the pain of being missed in the midst of Jesus's famous words of John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? even after I've been among you for such a long time? From John 14. Here, at the very moment Christ is doing all he can to comfort his disciples and prepare them for his coming execution, he not only reassures them that all will be well, but he promises their companionship will continue for eternity. In this beautiful moment of relational assurance— His closest disciples betray how little they know Jesus, and you can see it hurts him. Don't you know me even after I've been among you such a long time? You can practically see the pain in his eyes. Imagine living your entire life in a world where the people closest to you don't get you. Oh, you do live in that world, and Jesus understands. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was always lonely, There are moments of remarkable tenderness recorded in the Gospels, John leaning on his breast at their last supper, Mary washing his feet with tears, wiping them with her hair. I'm sure there were many more. All that time, walking the roads with the fellows, all those campfires, I do not believe that his loneliness defined him, as it does many of us. Jesus is an essentially happy man. He loves life. How could the joy of the Lord be our strength if the Lord is seldom joyful? You might think that keeping Jesus all mysterious and heavenly is the proper thing to do. But consider this. When he came, he came as presented in the Gospels, very much human, a person, a man, with a very distinct personality. This is the primary witness we have of him recorded for all who would know him. This is how he chooses to make himself known. This is the self he presents to us. Be careful you don't push him away with your religious delicacies. Jesus was so obviously human, notes Eugene Peterson. But this has never been an easy truth for people to swallow. There are always plenty of people walking around who will have nothing of this particularity, human ordinariness, bodily fluids, raw emotions of anger and disgust, fatigue and loneliness. Did you think Gethsemane was the only time he sweat? Or maybe we assume that his sweat smelled like lilies. And what is it with the snowy white robe? Every movie I've seen costumes Jesus in an immaculate white robe. He never got dirty. Those were not paved roads he walked for miles. You shall know them by their fruit. Jesus' humanity will cause you to fall in love with him all the more. His personality, his remarkable qualities, those we have touched on and those we are about to explore, they burst with color and brilliance like fireworks because of his humanity. Think of it. The man of sorrows had a sense of humor. The Prince of Peace could work himself into a lather. This wonderful counselor could be downright ironic. The man on a mission had time to sit and chat. Far from diminishing Jesus, this will only quicken your worship and deepen your intimacy. I love his playfulness. I love his courage. I love... His exasperation. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children, sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Matthew chapter 11. He's got to be shaking his head, rolling his eyes. What is it with you people? You are simply impossible. John fasted. You thought he was possessed. I feasted. You think I'm an alcoholic and a pig. There is simply no pleasing you. Or how about Jesus's surprise? Yes, his genuine surprise. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes I say to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I'll tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Matthew chapter 8. Astonished, variously translated also as marveled or amazed. Matthew uses the exact same word a few paragraphs later to describe the disciples' slack-jaw reaction when Jesus shuts down a storm. "'Lord, save us! We're going to drown!' He replied, "'You have little faith. Why are you so afraid?' And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, "'What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him.'" Amazed astonished. Did you know that Jesus could be amazed? Mark uses the word to describe Jesus's amazement at the Jews' unbelief. Quote, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Mark six. 6. The religious glaze over Jesus, or over our hearts, is so thick we have to keep striking it over and over and over. Jesus was human. Jesus was a man. His humanity was real. He wasn't pretending those nails actually hurt. I can sense the religious fog trying one more dupe. Yes, but he's not human now. He's at the right hand of the Father, in glory. The disciples were tempted to think something similar. Late Resurrection Sunday the two fellows from the Emmaus road come rushing back to town to tell the others that they have seen Jesus alive. Let's pick up the story there. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I. Myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Luke chapter 24. This is a very funny moment. The pair from the Emmaus Road are in the middle of telling their incredible story when Jesus just appears in the room, as if to illustrate everything they've just said. Yep, that was me. Yep, I did it just like that. Suddenly, he's just standing there, and all he says is, Peace be with you. Here's the most fantastic thing in the world, is happening before their eyes, and all Jesus says is, Hi? His understatement is very, very funny. The disciples are stupefied, dumbfounded. They don't believe that he's real. Look at my hands and feet. He is clearly showing them the holes, the nails pierced. They still think he's a ghost. Finally, he asks, is there anything here to eat? Like a neighbor dropping by for some chips. He chews it carefully in front of them, swallows it, and waits a few seconds for everyone to digest the lesson. You have got to love this moment and the point he's making. Jesus raised is still Jesus, a man, flesh and bones and all. Be gone, religious fog. Jesus was more human than humanity. His was the most human face of all. This is going to open up wonders for you. Extravagant Generosity. I'm sitting on the beach this evening, watching the swells roll in toward me. Each wave builds as it approaches, ascending, taking shape, deep greens below sweeping upward into translucent aquamarine. A sculpture in motion, curling forth like shavings from a jade carving. The sheer elegance is enough to take my breath away. The wave I'm fixed upon crashes to the sand like a work of art, toppling from its pedestal. But before I can feel the loss, another is rushing to take its place, sweeping upward, forward, utterly mesmerizing beauty. And then comes another, and then another, and another in an unending processional. All things were made through him, comes to mind, and without him. Nothing has been made that has been made. What are the waves telling us about Jesus? An artist is revealed in the work he or she creates and in the abundance of the work created. Think of the ocean. Picture it in your mind. Tonight, the breakers are thundering on the reef a hundred yards out, and beyond that, open ocean. What does this tell us about Jesus? what words come to mind? Majestic, powerful, wild, dangerous, yes, tempestuous, like the clearing of the temple. His eyes like the gray of the sea, as Ezra Pound wrote, the sea that brooks no voyaging, but also gently playful as it laps at your feet, swirling around your toes, pulling the sand away from beneath you as Jesus ever so gently pulls the rug out from under us. I look down. Scattered at my feet lie a thousand shells, delicate, intricate, the work of a jeweler, an artist with very small tools and exceptional eyesight. If all this is the work of an artist's hand, what does it tell us about the artist? Creation is epic and intimate. He is epic and intimate. Everywhere around me, an obsession with beauty and attention to detail. But most of all, I am thunderstruck by the abundant generosity strewn around, constantly rolling in. It's as if someone took the family's silver and ran down the beach, tossing handfuls here and there like a madman. How do you describe this extravagance? What kind of person acts like this? On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, "'They have no more wine.' Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time is not yet come. From John chapter 2. Pause. What is his tone of voice at this moment? It makes all the difference. Is he being aloof? Is there a sigh of impatience? Is he irritated? Be careful what you read into this story. His response to Mary seems rude, but that cannot be. We know he adored her. My goodness, while hanging in agony from the cross, he arranges for her care. The beauty of their relationship is revealed here as well. She knows all she has to do is ask. There couldn't have been anything condescending in his reply, for she simply turns to the servants and says, like a Jewish mother, do whatever he tells you. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Wait a second, six stone water jars holding up to 30 gallons each? That would be somewhere close to 180 gallons. You've been listening to an excerpt from my new book, Beautiful Outlaw, which comes out on October 12th. And we are so excited to tell people about this Jesus, that we've got special offers for you. If you order a copy before October 12th or on October 12th, we want to send you a free second copy that you can give away to a friend because we want to share this with the world. And we've got all kinds of other things. We've got a book trailer for you to share with your friends. You can email it around to your groups are posted on Facebook. We've got videos, and we have some live events coming. We're going to be doing a a tour only in October. We're hitting Atlanta, Dallas, the Los Angeles area, and Seattle. And so for more information on all of this, including online events, videos, trailers, come to beautifuloutlaw.net.